0: again, good morning to everyone. If uh, you came in after the announcements today, my name is Stuart Mazell, I'm the lead pastor here, and it's great to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us. And uh, we, again, we thank everyone who's joining us online or by podcast. Uh, we are in a series called Joy, where we've been talking about what it means to have joy in the Lord, joy in Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at a passage from John chapter 3. So it's on the screen here, but if you would like to turn in your own Bibles, you can see that in John 3, verse 25 and following. Now, John is mentioned in this passage, but it's not the John of the gospel, it is John the Baptist, and that's the context that we see here, and there's a little bit of a Um, maybe a rivalry that could happen between Jesus and John the Baptist. But what does John the Baptist do with that? That's what this passage shows us. Starting in verse 25, this is God's word. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ This is God's word. We pray for us. Jesus, even as I read those words, it's so easy for all of us to want to be the ones who are increasing, the ones who are getting the glory, the ones who are getting the praise, the ones who are getting the pats on the back, Forgive us for the way that we make everything about us when it's really about you. And teach us today, as we sang just a few moments ago, true humility, that we would know true joy. And Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to empower us. I need you to empower me to be able to speak the truth to these folks. So will you please... Fill me and fill these folks, that we all, that I would be able to speak your truth and that everyone, including myself, we would hear your truth and respond with real faith, with real repentance, with real obedience, and with real humility and joy. And we pray this for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, but at at times it seems our society as a whole is obsessed with doing things in three easy steps. Have you ever heard that phrase? Three easy steps. Many self-help articles and many self-help books have been written with that in the title. Three easy steps to create a small business. Three easy steps to making friends. Three easy steps to uh, free yourself from fear. Three easy steps to a longer, healthier, and happier life. Or you may have heard it just this way how to make your wardrobe better in three easy steps. How to find yourself in three easy steps. That seems like that would only take one step. Here I am, right? How to save the world. In three easy steps, that is, that is literally a name of a book. You can go to Amazon and find it. My favorite phrase, though, of all of those is three easy steps to instantly make your day better. Number one, smell the coffee. Number two, drink the coffee. Number three, wake up. And usually in that order. I'm really surprised with all of this three easy steps. That someone hasn't written an article, written an article, that says how to make a list of three easy steps in three easy steps. Because it's just such a, a part of the way we think. And I bring up this three easy steps stuff because I came across a quote recently in my reading, and um, I noticed that there were three steps. But I also noticed that the author did not classify these steps as easy. Uh, the author is Octavius Winslow, and the book is Midnight Harmonies, and he says this. There are three steps in the Christian's life. The first is humility. The second is humility. The third is humility. If you've been a follower of Christ for a while, or even if you've just become a believer, humility is Definitely a central aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But I also think that we can all admit that humility is not easy. Humility does not come naturally to us, does it? And I think it's safe to say that for most of us, we might be a little bit surprised that in a sermon series about joy, we're talking about humility. Because we typically don't think that humility and joy go together. Humility sounds, ugh. But the scriptures are clear. The way of Jesus is the way of joy. And the way of Jesus is the way of humility. And so today we're going to see how those two mesh up together so that we hopefully will leave here today with a better sense of how as we humble ourselves and we grow in humility, we will also grow in joy. All right, so that's the big picture of what we're talking about today. If you like outlines, here is your first point. If you don't like outlines, you can just ignore it. That's fine. The way of humility brings us great joy. The way of humility brings us great joy. We're going to see this from this passage here. Again, this is John the Baptist. verses 25 and 26, we see that a discussion has arisen between some of John's disciples and a Jew about purification. And we don't know exactly what that discussion was, but we do know that somehow in that discussion, Jesus comes up and how Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people. And that was John's deal. That was John's shtick. That's what he was doing. And so... His disciples, John's disciples, come to him and they say, Rabbi, this Jesus guy who you said, you know, you bore witness to him, look, he's baptizing and everybody's leaving us to go to him. Now, at that point, you might think that John would go, ooh, we got to do something to make sure we get those people back. We got to do something to make sure that we don't lose any more people, because this is all about my ministry, That's not what John does, is it? In verses 27 and following, John answers them and he says, "...a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven." Think about that. John is saying, if if I have followers, they came from God. If Jesus has followers, they came from God. If some of my followers are now following Jesus... That's of God. God is sovereign over all of these things. And so if I receive anything, if Jesus receives anything, if anyone receives anything, it comes from God. You see the humility in that? It's not about I've done more, I've worked harder, I've made a name for myself. It's about recognizing God is on the throne. And then he goes on to say, you yourselves bear me witness that I said... I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. John knew his role. He knew his place. And he knew he was not the center of attention. He was for a short period of time, but that was just to prepare the way for the Lord of all, Jesus. And in verses 29 and 30, 30, he goes on in this way of humility and he says these words the one who has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice in other words John is saying if, if you see this analogy of I am the bridegroom's friend it's not all about me The wedding isn't about me. The wedding is about the bride and the groom. And I rejoice that the bride and the groom are getting together. I'm I'm rejoicing over them. That's what's important. And then he goes on to say, Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. It's fulfilled. I have great joy in saying I don't need followers. They belong to Jesus. You hear that humility? And then, as if we couldn't, we didn't get the point already, verse 30. John drives it home. He, Jesus, must increase. I need to decrease. Jesus needs to be lifted up. Jesus needs to be exalted. Jesus needs to be the one who's seen as the center of attention. And I need to just bow back into the shadows and let him shine. The way of humility brings us great joy. That's what John is saying here. He's saying by humbling myself and recognizing that my my correct place in the kingdom, I have great joy. My joy is complete. I can rejoice in Jesus because it's not about me. It's about Him. The way of humility brings us great joy. But by contrast, and this is what we all need to hear, and I hate to be the bringer of bad news, but guess what? None of us are really that humble, including me. We all have a pride problem, every single one of us. Even those who don't think we have a pride problem, we really have a pride problem. The way of humility is the way of joy, but by contrast, pride ultimately leads us to unrest to dissatisfaction, to misery. Have you learned that about your own pride? That what your pride does to all of you and to me, what pride does to all of us is that it leads us to unrest. It leads us to dissatisfaction. It leads us to misery. Think about these passages from Proverbs. And I'm going to go through these quickly. Proverbs 11:2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble, there's wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29:23, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. You know, um, for whatever reason, psychologists have started to study what makes us happy, what makes us joyful, what makes us uh, more peaceful in our lives. And one, several studies recently have shown that the more self-centered we are, the more egotistical we are, or if I want to put it in biblical terms, the more prideful we are, the less likely we are to have consistent Happiness. Think about it. If I think the world revolves around me, then I'm likely to experience a lot of frustration. My favorite example, and I've said this numerous times, when I am late to an appointment and all the lights are red, I don't go, well it's my fault for being leaving not on time. What I do is like, why are these lights against me? Don't they know that I have an appointment that I'm late to? Why aren't all these lights turning when I want them to? That's speaking from pride, from being this, wanting to be the center of the universe, for everything to bow down to me, right? That's what that is, and that is sin, and that leads to frustration. Or think about it this way. If I think everybody should yield to my wishes and my desires, I'm likely to experience a good deal of anger, right? Why aren't you doing it my way? I've told you numerous times this is the way you're supposed to do it. Why aren't you doing it the way I want it done, right? Or think about this, if I think I deserve the best, or at least I deserve better than others, then I'm likely to experience jealousy and envy. Why is it that that church over there has more people? Why is it that they have more resources? Why is it that their lives look better than mine? Right? It's about pride. Pride. And it leads to feelings of envy and jealousy. Or think about this. If I think everyone, that I, if I think everyone should have a good opinion of me, ooh, and, and, and believe me, that's one I struggle with. <laughs> I think everyone should have a good opinion of me. I think everyone should see me in a good light, in the best light. Then I'm likely to be nervous and anxious when I'm in social situations because someone might not see me at my best, right? If I think I'm smarter and wiser and all around a better thinker than everybody else, then I'm likely to show contempt and disdain and even hostility when someone disagrees with my views. Everybody feeling sufficiently convicted now? I think that hits everybody. I can't say that I'm much of a Taylor Swift fan, but I'm going to give her props today because in her new song, Antihero, she says, it's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Those are words of humility. And would the church learn we need to recognize where we are the problem. Not the world around us. Not, you know, the news media or some other entity out there. No, what the problem is is what's on the inside. Our pride. That makes us think we're the center of the universe when really God is. And John recognizes that. And that's why he says, I must decrease, but Jesus, He must increase. And that's what it means to have joy in humility. It's not a terrible thing. Everything that I just mentioned about pride, you see how awful those things are. But when we have a right relationship with God, when we have a right place, when we understand who we really are in Christ, we can have great joy. Because we've taken the position of humility. So one of the things that John shows us, I think, in this passage is that much of the joy of humility is found in thinking more about others than ourselves. And this is a theme throughout Scripture, that we think less of ourselves and we think more of someone else. There are lots of Scriptures that back this up. But just notice what John does here. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. In other words, I don't show up to the wedding that I'm not the groom... ...and make it all about me. No, instead, I rejoice at the groom. I rejoice in the bride. I rejoice in their relationship. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. And I'm decreasing. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book... ...The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness... ...The Path to True Christian Joy... ...it's a small book, very thin... You can read it in maybe less than an hour. I would recommend this book, really. He says this, the thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel, humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Gospel humility is not needing to think about myself. Not needing to connect things with myself. It is an end to thoughts such as, I'm in this room with these people. Does that make me look good? Do I want to be here? True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself, the freedom of self-forgetfulness, the blessed rest that only self-forgetfulness brings. Folks, when I read that, I said... I want that, I want that, because all my life I have been plagued by what we call um, caring more about what others think of me than what I think of myself, right? Or what God thinks of me, that's even more important. If you don't like me, that ruins my day. If you don't think I'm awesome, Ruins my day. And you know what? That's ridiculous. Because there are always going to be people who don't like me. Who don't like you. Right? That's the way it is. But when, if I could just get to a point where I don't think everything is about me. You know, have you ever had this experience where you walk into a room and people are whispering and you automatically think they're whispering about me? And they probably don't even know you're in the room. Wouldn't it be great to walk into a room, see someone whispering, and not even connect that to yourself at all? Wouldn't that be great? I long for that day where the humility of Jesus has so invaded my heart that I forget about me and all I'm caring about is Jesus and other people. That's what I long for. Much of the joy of humility is found in thinking more about others than ourselves. If I can, Charles, I know you uh, said this in Sunday school, so I'm not going to ask you to come up and say it like I joked about in Sunday school. But in Sunday school, Charles made this point great, a great way of uh, putting this, that our joy comes when we see someone else having joy. And so he was talking about his, his uh, relationship with his wife. And when he sees Kim having joy, that makes him joyful. But if he's demanding of Kim, you have to make me happy, then guess what happens? Happiness doesn't come. But when he finds joy in her joy, then he gets her joy and his joy all wrapped up into one. That's what John That's what John is saying here about Jesus. That's what the scriptures are saying about our relationship with one another. We all need to recognize that humility is the way of joy, and the joy of humility is found in thinking more about other people than we do about ourselves. And folks, I need to say this because we need, it's not just about how I think about you, but it's how I think about God. Right? It's especially true as we humble ourselves to praise and serve God. That's what worship is. Worship isn't, I come in here and I go, oh, this is all about me. God's nice because he thinks about me. Because me, 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 me. Right? That's not worship. Well, it is worship, but it's worshiping yourself. No, worship is when I get outside of myself and I see someone who is worthy, someone who is worthy of my praise, worthy of glory, worthy of honor, and God is that person, right? When we humble ourselves to embrace the truth that I am not the center of the universe, God is, that's when we start to experience real joy. We were created to love and to serve God, to praise God, and to give Him glory, to live for His glory, and when we do so, we experience real joy. But when we fail to praise and serve God, when we make it all about us or about something else besides God, that's called idolatry. Idolatry isn't just about making a little statue and bowing down to it like they did in the old days. Idolatry is anything that takes our eyes off of God where we make something that is created more important than God. Whether that's a relationship, whether that's a church, whether that's any good thing, it doesn't matter. Anything that we put more emphasis on then God is an idol. And idols rob us of real joy. Again, giving some love to Tim Keller today. Here's a second quote from him. This is from the book Judges for You. He says this, Idolatry is making a good aspect of creation whether it's marriage, mountains, business, and so on, into the ultimate source of security, identity, and power. And so false gods are a thorn. When we make something into an idol, it continually makes us miserable. If we fall short of it, or if we might fall short of it, it robs us of joy. If our children are our false god, when their lives are troubled, we will lose our joy. And even when their lives might become troubled, which is all the time, we will worry and lose our joy. Do you hear this, folks? Joy is found in humility. The humility of worship, the humility of service, the humility of thinking about God more than uh, myself, the humility of thinking about other people more than myself, the humility of looking after the interests of other people more than I do just my own interests. And joy is found in all of us embracing this phrase of John the Baptist, he, that is Jesus, he must increase and I must increase decrease. And that leads me to the most important part of this sermon. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is not only the great example of humility, He humbled himself for our salvation. He's not just an example that we look at and we go, oh yeah, Jesus was really humble. I want to be like him. He humbled himself for our salvation. Think about it this way. Does everybody have that peaceful place in their house where they go to sit or maybe lay down? Maybe it's your lazy boy chair. Maybe it's your couch. Maybe it's your bed. Imagine you're in that place, nice and comfy. You know, the air conditioning is just right. You just feel so good. And then someone says, there's a bunch of drug addicts in downtown Sumter who have gotten themselves in a big mess. And somebody wants you to go down there and help them. What are you going to do? Jesus heard the cry of people who were much worse addicts than any drug addict that there has ever been. Addicts of sin. And he left the comforts and the wonders and the goodness of heaven. And he came down to get us out of the mess we put ourselves in. That's our Jesus. Think about this. What if someone said, I want you to give up your home, to give up all the money that you have, your bank accounts, stocks, whatever it is, wherever you have money, I want you to give it all away to help a group of lazy good-for-nothings who are languishing in poverty of their own making. Would any of us sign up for that? And yet, Jesus, who was rich beyond our understanding, He made Himself poor so that He might make us rich. Not rich in material things, but rich in our relationship with our God. He took all of our sins upon Himself at the cross, and He rose from the dead to give us life, life that is eternal. That is our Jesus. And it took humility for Him to do that, right? Here's one of my biggest fears. Being in front of a crowd like this and having everyone tell me what they think is wrong with me. People who criticize me, critique me, or maybe even scoff at me, making fun of me, laughing at me. That is a nightmare scenario for this guy. I'd almost rather face death than that, honestly. Jesus humbled himself to save sinners in such a way that he was willing to take it when people critiqued him and criticized him wrongly. And scoffed at him, laughed at him, made fun of him. And he did all of that so that I and you and people all around the world would know salvation in him. Would know a right relationship with God again. Who would be freed from the slavery of their sins. He did all of that for us. That's humility. Humility. Imagine someone that you have hurt... That, sorry, someone who has hurt you deeply. Every one of us has that person. Every one of us. Someone who has hurt us immensely. That even the mention of their name gets our blood starting to boil. Imagine that person's dying because their kidneys are failing... And someone says, you're a match for a kidney transplant. Are you going to give that kidney to save that person's life? Or are you going to hold that grudge? Jesus didn't hold a grudge against any of us. Not one of us. Instead, he didn't just give a kidney, he gave his life. He shed his blood. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit to his Father. And he died. The very Son of God died. The one who is King of kings and Lord of lords died. And he died so that we would have life. And yes, he did rise from the dead later, but you got to get to the point. He couldn't have risen from the dead unless he died first. Right? And he did that for me and for you that we would know true joy in Him for the joy that was set before Him, the joy of you being in the family of God, He endured the cross and He scorned its shame. And then when He rose from the dead, He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. That's our Jesus who humbled Himself for our salvation. That's the good news. We serve a humble servant Savior who gave everything so that we would have everything He has to offer. Mm. Somebody ought to say amen to that because that is the best news. Not one of us, no matter how bad our sin is, no matter how awful we think we are, Jesus does not hold that grudge. He gave himself fully for us. Wow. And then he says, the way of true joy is to humble yourself the way that I've humbled myself and we lay down our lives for each other. Wow. So that leads us to your action point for today. If you like something to be able to take away, because you're thinking, how am I supposed to humble myself? What does humility look like? How do I grow in it? I get that. Here's what we can do. Here's an action that we can take. Ask the Holy Spirit to produce True humility in you. Ask the Holy Spirit to produce true humility in you. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, like, that's like praying for patience, right? You pray for patience, guess what's going to happen in your life? You pray for humility, guess what's going to happen in your life? But remember, the way of humility is the way of joy don't let the evil one whisper in your ear and say, no, you don't need humility. What you need is to think more of yourself. No, what we all need, what I need, what you need, what our neighbors need is real humility so that we can see that Jesus is the one who must increase as we decrease. And if there's anybody here who I haven't been able to hit with some kind of point, at least listen to Mr. Lewis, C.S. from Mere Christianity. If you're walking out of here saying, well, that was a good sermon for so-and-so, but it wasn't for me. C.S. Lewis says this, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. So don't leave here thinking, I don't need to pray to the Spirit for humility. We all need humility. We all need to pray that God would humble us, or even better yet, that he would give us real humility. To be like our Savior Jesus. So that we would know real joy. All that being said, let's continue, church. Let's continue to grow in the joy of Jesus by growing in humility. And I'm going to pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Jesus, you humbled yourself in so many ways for us. Thank you. As we sang earlier, teach us real humility. Holy Spirit, produce real humility in me and in these folks. We don't want to be full of pride. We don't want the negative things that come from being filled with ourselves. We want to be filled with you, Holy Spirit, so that we'll be filled with humility and we'll be filled with joy. So teach us the way of joy by teaching us and producing in us humility. We pray for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.